Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Employees are returning to the office en masse. Having peace of mind for on-site returns is something that cannot be overlooked and is needed as we transition from pandemic to endemic. Hello, this is Bill Bannum, and in this HR Chat episode, we're going to consider what employees can do to remain healthy as they return to on-site work. We'll also consider the well-being responsibilities of employers. I'm joined today by Joy Altameri, Forbes Communication Council member and CRO at EHE Health, a 100-year-old preventative healthcare company still paving the way for worksite returns to result in a happy, healthy and productive workforce through well-being measures. Joy has helped lead strategic growth and brand innovation across a range of highly competitive, rapidly evolving marketplaces for more than 20 years. As Chief Revenue Officer at EHE, Joy is responsible for driving growth across the company's expanding product ecosystem, directing revenue generation as the company rapidly scales and breaks barriers in the employer health landscape. Joy, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show today. Thanks, Bill. Good to be here. So, Joy, I think that was a pretty long intro. I reckon our <laughs> listeners have got a little taster of what you're up to and what you're about. So um, let's uh, let's get straight into learning a bit more about EHE Health, shall we? Can, can you start there? Just uh, take a minute or two and tell us more about the company. Absolutely. I think, you know, what you said is true. We're a 109-year-old company. In fact, you know, when you think about that, we've been around as long as there's been health insurance in the U.S. So we we grew with the category, so to speak. Um, and we're focused, our entire focus is on prevention. We work with large self-insured employers who really have a dedicated focus, an intentional focus on creating productive workforces um, of all types, um, some very uh, white collar, a lot very blue collar, um, everything from finance to consulting to CBG. We really work to create curated prevention programs based off of the data that we have about their um, employees at the clinical data, the health data that we have. We, we present to them, partner with them to create these programs for their employees that are engaging, yet also educational and informing. At the end of the day, we really want employees to know more about their health, where they stand today. I think we learned that through COVID, that if you don't understand if you have pre-existing conditions, it's not just that pre-existing condition that can harm you. It's any infection or virus that you perhaps contract that could compress time, speed up that condition and its and its negative impact. So our goal is really to partner with employers who really believe that health is the most important thing that they can, or a good health is the most important thing that they can leave their employees with. And then we're very happy to always partner with employers to improve upon that plan year over year over year. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much. So We've had a couple of false starts over the last couple of years, okay? You know, that there have been times when we've all thought, ah, oh, thank goodness we're, we're through the worst of this pandemic and uh, things are looking up. And then um, another wave hit us. This time, though, with, with the Omicron variant, things are looking yeah. more positive. 
Uh, it's 70 times more infectious, but it's also 70 times less deadly. Uh, it tends to infect the upper uh, respiratory system instead of the lungs, which is fantastic news. And um, I believe, and lots of others believe that, you know, this time we, we perhaps really are through it and we really are in the endemic stage. Um, given that, and given that we probably are now in a situation where people are returning to the office and they will be back there and there, there won't be uh, the, these these intermittent um, uh, respites back in you know, home situations again and, and disruptions like we've seen over the last couple of years. What, what are some of the challenges faced by HR teams and the C-suite when, when trying to ensure that employees return to the office in happy and health conscious ways? And what perhaps have we learned from the false starts over the last couple of years too? Yeah. So I think, you know, we have been living, this is March is the two-year mark where most people were working from home, you know, sheltering in place, um, and I think as we think about going back into the workforce full time in some instances, and we want to prohibit these false starts, I think we have to first be very um, honest with ourselves with that we have at our disposal what we didn't have even a year ago. We have, and especially in America, we have access to vaccines. And the reason to your point, the Omicron variant wasn't as detrimental is because we have this added protection beyond masks, beyond beyond you know, wearing gloves and sanitizing your hands, the vaccine really has proven to be the, the turning point for us to, to enter back into society. Um, when you're vaccinated, even if you do contract the, the, the virus, uh, the, if you contracted the Omicron variant, as you noted, there were less hospitalizations. So while it was more contractable, it was not as deadly because you had that, that virus. So I think what, I mean, you had that vaccine. So I think what HR teams and C-suite members, executives should really do is recall, remember that. Remember that we've evolved into a place where we do have a vaccine and encourage people, if they can, to consider the vaccine if they haven't been vaccinated as of yet and or the booster. Um, and I think in order to do that, you have to bring clarity to the discussion. Employees have been, throughout this last two years, bombarded with messaging sometimes factual, sometimes not. And I think what we want is what we want to do is provide facts to the employees in a clear, concise way. Um, if you are going to ask employees to come back to work, the number one question they're going to have is how are you going to keep me safe? Not for selfish reasons, but for the fact that many have families, aging parents, grandparents, children that are also in school. And I think what we've learned, especially from the education system in the Northeast, I can only speak about the Northeast, is that you have to have a measured cadence of how you roll back certain things. So just in New York, we've just decided in the schools that masks are optional for vaccinated individuals. As employees and employers, you want to have a very consistent approach toward the protocols that you're rolling back, noting the CDC guidelines, speaking to it's optional versus mandatory when it, when it comes to mask wearing or not. Um, you just want to make sure that you are consistent that you are showing equitable access to, um, to PPE if necessary, um, and that you're creating an environment that, see, that, is, that is very thoughtfully constructed to keep everyone safe. Because again, you don't know who who, what members of your employee population may have pre-existing conditions or those in their household who may have pre-existing conditions that may just make people uncomfortable. Um, you, if you can have an open dialogue we really recommend once you have those protocols to hold several um, town hall meetings 
Um, and then employ your leadership to have individual meetings so that people can have a safe space to ask the questions that they may be plagued with but don't know how to ask. Um, those are the best ways, I think, to keep an office happy and health conscious. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, so it's one thing, you know, objecting to wearing a mask. And in many instances, that's no longer um, a prerequisite, of course, as you mentioned there. But it's quite another thing when you've got employees who say, hold on a minute, I still don't feel safe. I worry yeah. that, um, that, that the Omicron variant is going to uh, mutate and to become something yeah. else. And I, I don't want to come into the office. How should HR pros and leaders handle those sorts of objections from employees? You know, it's really tough, um, Bill, because you're actually you're trying to educate and be very um, scientific based. And, and I and I do recognize that as a healthcare company, we have uh, the benefit of a CEO who's an epidemiologist. So this was like, you know, his Super Bowl of event. And we had access to information that others may not. Um, but if you do have employees that are hesitant and they and they voice it, I think it's a responsibility of the organization to really provide the data, the scientific evidence around how um, your protocols are aligned with the CDC and how it can, number one, prevent spread and number two, prevent a hospitalization. Um, I think addressing the concerns head on is very important, as I said. Had, having a, a staggered approach to communication, not just in, we took, we announced it via email or one town hall meeting, but really thinking about people typically need to hear things more than once, and they need to feel that they're in a safe space. So smaller groups of opportunities to have that open back and forth line of communication is super important. I also think it's important to, to promote public health 101, you know, get vaccinated, as I said, or boosted. Wearing a mask when you feel uncomfortable or when you're around people and you don't know their status. Social distancing in the office is still, I think, important. Heavily ventilation is very important. Um, I think just making sure that people feel safe if you want to do a product similar to um, a daily pass, which basically just says, are you symptomatic? Do you have a fever? And knowing that everyone has to do it can help reassure those, those individuals who are uncertain or uncomfortable but knowing that, again, you have a universal strategy in your protocol, communicating what that is and why you're doing is why you're doing it is super important and making sure that there's, you know, an opportunity for people to give open feedback, I think will go a long way with getting people, um, encouraging people to return to the work workplace. Okay, thank you. So given that the Omicron variant joy has swept through the US and, and elsewhere, and in the case of the US, it's uh, 80 million plus Americans have been diagnosed with well, at least one variant. And uh, the science now tells us that if you've had uh, a variant of, of COVID, the T cells are going to stay longer, you can have much higher levels of immunity to say the waning immunity you'd get with uh, vaccines after a few months, potentially, but, but nevertheless, two thirds of Americans have also been fully vaccinated. Uh, I'm a big proponent of that. I've also had COVID, so I guess I'm doubly protected. Um, <laughs> but, do, but, but do you think that that corporate vaccine mandates are still necessary at this point to, to abate health worries, given those numbers, given those huge proportions of people? I mean, you mentioned earlier it's important to get the vaccine. I, I agree with you. It's important to get the vaccine. But is, is, is that case, is that argument as strong as it was a couple of months ago? Well, I think the reason why we're sitting in the place and talking about an endemic is because of those vaccine, vaccine mandates that employers really put on um, early on. And I, I'm a big believer in, you know, continuing to do what's working. Um, as a company, we actually uh, have a vaccine mandate um, 
with very, 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 very few narrow exceptions around um, health exemptions. But we believe fully that vaccination mandates provide that peace of mind um, for every employee and their family as they enter the workspace um, to know that number one, everyone is vaccinated. So everyone's in the same physical clinical space. And number two, if there if there were to be an outbreak, um, the protections there as it relates to how the vaccine works. Um, so I find it really hard to say that a mandate is not good because the results that we've seen over the last, especially the last three to six months as companies have decided to do so, if they're returning to the workforce, we see people being more happy, being more comfortable, and at the end of the day, healthier. Now, if you don't want to do a mandate, some of our peers in technology, they've decided to not do a mandate, but they've not made coming to the office mandatory either. And so I think that you you can't talk about a vaccine mandate in isolation. I think you have to first talk about, and this is kind of how we approach it as well. First, we wanted to talk about the culture of our company and what we wanted to encourage. We wanted people to come back to the office. We wanted that collaboration that we saw pre-COVID to pre-exist. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of great things of working via Zoom. We're, we're experiencing the greatness of Zoom right now. But there's nothing, you can't really bottle up the collaboration and the productivity that exists when certain companies, certain departments, um, like marketing, like creative, like advertising, like clinical, we can't really reproduce that in a virtual environment. And so we made a decision for the productivity of our company to bring people back. And so in doing that, we wanted to do that safely. And that's when we considered what our vaccine policy would be. But I think you first have to talk about what is going to make our company feel like it's a place of belonging and how are we going to approach that? And then you have to be a responsible employee employer and decide how can we keep them safe. And the safest, based off the science and data we have today, the safest approach toward that is fully vaccinated workforces. Okay, so the pandemic did a lot of things to change people's attitudes towards health. And, you know, we're not just talking about uh, COVID here. We're talking about mental health. Uh, yes. we, we're talking about uh, physical health as well. I, I was one of those people, and I often tell my listeners this, I was one of those people, particularly in the first wave, that would keep, you know, you locked down and you keep going back to the fridge and you're like, oh, I wonder if there's anything new in there. Well, no, but there's still cheese. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll have a bit more cheese. And uh, as a result, I put on a few extra pounds, which I'm still yeah. trying to run off now. Uh, but people also tell me, Bill, you can't outrun a diet. So I'm trying to manage that too. Um, but, you know, um, the the uh one's mental and one's physical health is um a lot more front of mind now than it was a couple of years ago and that's a great thing i i I believe how how do you think the pandemic has impacted the importance and relevance of preventative health measures and as part of that answer perhaps you can share how this trend perhaps can impact employers and what they can do to plan for the long term yeah so i really do believe the i mean the data is clear um you know we saw an increase in telehealth during the pandemic and mostly around mental health. So we definitely know that the shift of not having this daily routine of going into the office or whatever your routine was pre-COVID had a, had a significant impact on behavior health. Um, and so coupled with the fact that we saw 30% less preventive visits in 2020 and then 2021, I think it went up a little bit to 40%. We know as, as, as a health partner that employers are going to see an increase in health claims in years 2023 and 2024 because things have gone undiagnosed for two two to four years at that point. Um, we 
just because we don't diagnose cancer, just because you don't have an oncologist doesn't mean that you don't have cancer, right? That just means we don't know it. And so the fact that we saw, you know, almost 30, 35% of, of Americans not engage in their preventive health visits, we can anticipate that we're going to be addressing those issues, um, those issues in the next in the coming years, and that's going to have a significant impact on employers and their and their medical claim spend. And so we need to prepare for that. Um, I want to just go back to the mental health uh, and the, the mental health speak uh, piece that we talked about earlier that you mentioned earlier. I think the best thing that really did come out of COVID is this open dialogue around mental health and mental well being. Um, I think that while we always talked about it pre-COVID, I think the, the, the lesson that we learned during, co during COVID is to have an actionable plan and resources for employees, because typically an unseen um, ab ability or disability isn't treated the same as one that's seen, right? And so when you talk about mental health, which most of the time is unseen, I think it provide it, it, it requires more of uh, a dedicated, intentional framework for employers to support their employees and their families. And I think what we saw during COVID is more discussion around it, but not just a discussion, really more tools and resources for employees to actually address some of their issues and improve upon them. And at EHE Health, we do that as well. That's one of the things I think that we were super excited about. For our own employees, we partnered with one of our great mental health specialists and offered, you know, free moments, free space for people to talk to a, 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 an expert, but also company-wide and company-wide um, company, uh, company programming around mental health to help people identify if they were, you know, going down a path that would perhaps need some resources. And I think that's important for employers to think about as well, not just saying, oh, we have this program, but really how are you rolling it out so that people um leverage it, use it, and gain um, and gain some experiences that help them through the next phase of COVID, especially if I, I would encourage any employer who's not, um, who's continue, who's exploring a hybrid situation or not having people come back into the office to really beef up, um, really invest in mental well-being programming, because it's going to be uber important for people to have that resource as they continue to go through this next phase of the pandemic. How do you think the Great Resignation has increased a demand for more preventative healthcare measures for for, for candidates for new employees? You know, wh yeah, why why is that now so important? I think it's a funny question because I was just watching this morning on CNN that the, it was called it's at the Great Resignation that leads to the Great Regret. So I think there's probably yeah. evolving narrative around the Great Resignation, but I think your question is really important because the root cause of the Great Resignation is that people became more aware that they could create, they could first of all they could that they didn't want, with with, unfortunate, with the unfortunate number of deaths that we saw with, with COVID, I think people realized that they didn't want to work in an unfulfilling job, right? So they wanted to look and search and find their bliss, their passion, which I completely support. But I also think that people realized as they were looking for that blissful job or opportunity, that they were no longer held to the geography standards, that now there were global or maybe national or global candidates. And that when you look at you know, across the board, there's companies that still do not provide adequate um, leave for maternity maternity leave. Um, there's companies that don't provide adequate health care, primary care access 
for everyone. It's, it's a staggered approach. And I so I think that what happened is that employees became more educated about the options that existed and they demand it. It's like it kind of shifted, became an employee market because employees, because the root cause, right, was the root definition of success was now had now shifted. The dynamic had changed into not just financial, um, but also emotional, physical support that it required employers to say, oh my goodness, I need to think about how I'm presenting my healthcare benefits, my stay at home or my leave benefits, all these things ladder up to what we call in the business a people strategy. How am I going to recruit and retain the best talent while I have to make sure that there's not only a one size fits all? I have to have options and the options have to fit single singledoms all the way up to you know, married with kids all the way up to I'm, 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 I'm about to retire, you know, entering retirement. Those plans have to look different because the population that you serve as an employer is not monolithic. And so the great resignation was less about I'm unhappy with my job. It was more about I really am passionate about X and I want to find an employer who provides not only the opportunity for me to do that job, but can provide a space for me to be happy, have the benefits I need, be healthy, et cetera. Um, and I think that's why, you know, I love working at EHE because we continue to work with employers to design those programs. Um, but it's rooted in the, it's rooted in, and when it's most successful is when it's rooted in a strategy that addresses the diversity and the, and the variety that exists in the employee population. Wonderful. Thank you. You are indeed a great spokesperson for EHE. Um, so it would be remiss of me not to ask you, how does EHE differentiate their offerings from others in the marketplace? And maybe as part of that, why should companies consider adding these benefits? Yeah, I think so. A couple of things. Our, our core product, our core offering is around physical exams. It's not just the exam. It's really the preventive visit that leads to all the other resources like health navigation, health mentorship, which are daily products. Sorry, I have a puppy. <laughs> daily products that um, that really help create a healthy environment for the employer, I mean, for the employees. Um, but for, for safe at work measures, we did create some products that are really great. Um, first, we have a testing platform if you are interested in having your employees test on a frequent cadence um, as you also ask them you know the attestation from the CDC guided by the CDC guidance we have a product called daily pass that works with um, our safe at work product which is the testing platform um, but the most important exciting thing I think that came out of COVID was this VAC status product that we launched, which allows people to really have a digital passport of, of their vaccination and not just their COVID-19 vaccine, but every vaccine they've ever had. So if you're in America, you know, like we have this yellow card that we take to our, our pediatric visits every, every, every now, every so often, but it's very hard for an adult to know where their own yellow card is as it relates to the vaccines. And so we, we work with the national registries or the state registries to ensure that we're able upon consent from the member to be able to pull in digitally all of their vaccines, which I think is as we move forward as a, as a global, as a global, uh, as a global, as a global company, as a global team, as a global nation, um, we're going to see people wanting to know what vaccines you have and what is it current. So that is one of the biggest, I think, best products that we've unearthed through COVID. And, and I think it's going to have a long lasting impact on how individuals uh, navigate the world. Wonderful. Thank you. And of course, there will be links in the show notes, listeners and the associated yeah. post on the HR Gazette so you can learn more there. Uh, and by the way, Joy, I'm so pleased, given our false stop before we hit record, 
earlier on because I've I've also got a puppy to learn that you've got a puppy <laughs> um, and I do hope that your puppy has um, combed hair and has had a shave. <laughs> uh, okay now listen earlier on I didn't I didn't ask my usual first question my get to know you question instead we jump straight into the into the company but I would just like to take a minute if it's okay and um, delve into one thing that you get up to outside of EHE uh, because you're you're a founding member at Chief a yeah. private network designed for the most powerful women in executive leadership to strengthen their leadership, magnify their influence and pave the way to bring others with them. Sounds fantastic. I'm not a woman, so I probably can't get involved, <laughs> but it sounds wonderful. Can you can you take a minute or two and tell us more? Yeah, I love Chief. Um, Chief, I think, as you described, it is one of the best networks designed for women VPs and above to really connect and share and learn from each other. And I think the overall mission is empowering women um, through connect connections and thought leadership. But it also is an amazing space, safe space for us to talk about the challenges or the successes that we're exhibiting in the and experiencing in the company. For me, during COVID, um, there's a there's a component of chief that I very much love, which is what we call the core group, which is a group of women that you meet with frequently once a month, once every other month. Um, and you spare, you share space with them. Um, and I think during COVID that was kind of a lifeline that I needed to see other, not only powerful women, but powerful working moms who were managing it all or not managing it all. And I think that that connection that you create of support is what women need because you know, the numbers are very clear. There's not a lot of us in the C-suite. Um, and so when you don't see yourself there, sometimes the experiences that you have, you think are singular or isolated just to you. But to have an organization like Chief that not only provides resources and connections, but also provides an opportunity and a safe space to talk about what you're going to do and then to have it um, kind of acknowledged that that is happening to you and to others that alone is the is the gift of chief that you can't get anywhere else. So I'm super excited to have been one of the initial members in New York. Um, it's growing. If you go to LinkedIn on chief, you'll see so many people who have been accepted and across the country. And it's really just a great organization that I'm happy to be a part of. Excellent. And if there are any ways that myself or the HR Gazette team can help support the initiatives from Chief, please do let us know in the future. Hey, listen, before we do wrap up for today, and I'm sad to say we're almost there, we're almost at that wrap up stage. How can our listeners connect with you? So maybe that's through LinkedIn. Maybe you want to share your email address. Maybe you're really cool and you're on Instagram or TikTok or such. And how can they also learn more about things going on over at EHE Health? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at J Altamari. That's J, J I'm sorry, at Joy Altamari. It's J O Y A L T I M as Mary A R E. Also, my LinkedIn is really easy. It's my my name, Joy Altamari. So simple to find. And then EG Health, we have also an Instagram called EG Health. It's awesome to, it's a great resource. Um, so we use a lot of consumer esque infographics. We, we try to make it accessible. So please, follow us there um, and then we also have obviously a linkedin page which is eg health awesome well that just leaves me to say for today joy this has been a joy thank <laughs> you very much for, for joining me on this episode of the hr chat show thank you for having me Bill. and listeners until next time as always happy working thanks for listening to this episode of the hr chat podcast there are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.